0: What is going on everybody? Kyle here from the LED Project Podcast brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development. Thank you so much for uh, tuning into this episode where we are uh, giving you the audio from the AIE conference uh, and it's the panel that Wilkie was a part of along with uh, Michael Zucker of UTSA, Hamish Brewer, and Michael Bonner. So um, it was such a great conversation. I was lucky to be there to watch it and, uh, you know, got to ask a question and, and do those things. But to see three men, you know, from the profession, get up there and talk and, and rap and talk shop was incredible. And the passion and enthusiasm and excitement that Michael and Hamish brought um, while we were there as their keynotes was awesome. And they just continued that in this panel. But um, on a personal man, I was super proud of Will, the way he just got up there and, and, spoke his truth and really um, brought a ton to the conversation I was super proud of him and, and super grateful to um, Heather Salas and Sean over there at AIE for giving us the chance to um, be a part of it and be a part of that conference so much as it was um, but also to to allow us to put this audio out So, um, if you want to catch up with us uh, you can find us at the theledproject.com value adds value on Instagram and Twitter um, and also, if you're not following Hamish or Michael, you can follow them. Uh, Hamish is the Relentless Principal o- online, and uh, Michael is Michael Bonner. So we hope you enjoy the AIE panel. Moment.
1: Studies predict that student numbers will increase by 3 million, 3 million in the next decade. <laughs> so it, do you see this happening in, in your field, at your schools? And this is kind of directed to Michael and to Hamish.
2: I have not seen the uh, the... <laughs> That's a high number. <laughs> I have not seen that amount of increase within my school. What I have seen because of the type of school that I'm at, I see students bouncing between different schools over and over again. And obviously, having a different teacher uh, that many times within the school year is going to affect the child's ability to academically succeed. Um, so I think with that problem, we have to find a way to somehow get a, a range on that to try to build more structure to make sure that that child is in the best environment to do so. It's funny, last week we called a parent about their child misbehaving. The parent didn't even know that the child wasn't at school. The child was skipping at the house. So the parents at work, talking about they're at school, they had no idea. So trying to tackle that beast is going to be extremely hard. But I haven't seen the enrollment go up. I've seen the bouncing back and forth between school systems.
3: Yeah, we, uh, I, I, I echo the same thing, you know, like a lot of my kids are based on where we're urban school, high poverty, and kids bouncing around a lot, you know, that's a real reality, very transient, but what, what we also, I wonder if it accounts for is, you know, multiple families living in one house, for instance, we see a lot of that, I'm in an urban spot, it's saturated in terms of lots of families living together, those kind of culturally kind of that's what happens too. Uh, So we have seen an increase in student population based on our improved school actually, students returning to their community school rather than choosing to go somewhere else. Um, We are seeing where we are, we're right in the D.C. metropolitan area, 20 minutes from the White House, we are seeing huge numbers in that. That's where the work is. So I'm not sure. If it's, I'm not sure if it's we're having more kids or what the deal is, or if it's more a situation situational valuation than anything else. Wilkie,
1: well, do you have anything to add? Have you seen an increase in? And I, I know that these two guys are more urban. You're right outside of Houston, though. Yeah, it's we're right urban. outside. Uh,
4: still urban. Uh, I say all the time. A lot of times that our kids are the the children from the from the inner city. That's moved out to get a better opportunity. So we do see in our school that there is a there's a large number of school students enrolled. Uh, we've just added three new middle schools in our district, and we're almost to capacity. We're at capacity. Um, yeah. So uh, so that you know to speak on that, that I think that there is a a push for parents to say, hey, I see there's something good going on. kind of what Ham said that parents are pushing their kids to go there because they see something good and they want to be a part of that. So the enrollment is definitely
2: increased. And I think even to add to that point, <clears> that we're projecting 3 billion students as far as enrollment, we need to start putting pressure on the county level, the state level, and federal level for funds to deal with those mm-hmm. many students coming into our school buildings. If we want to effectively and efficiently move as a country, we have to begin having those tough conversations or voting those people in that are going to give us
1: <laughs> <All> right, <we're- laughs> Can I ask
5: a question, just a quick poll of the audience? Show of hands, how many people in your district or schools are anticipating an increase in enrollment? Right around the corner? Okay. Yeah. We we're adding one school every year right now. Building a brand new school basically once a year right now. So then thinking about that increase in enrollment, I'm
3: going
1: to jump right into attrition. Um, this is also a question for Wilkie Bonner, because I'm really looking for the veteran teacher perspective, and you are a veteran teacher considered, after, after three years, you're considered a veteran. I didn't know that. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: but
1: the question is, um, if attrition is the most crucial factor when we talk about the teacher shortage, as veteran teachers, what are the main reasons that you're staying in the classroom?
4: Uh, I know for me it's to make a difference. Uh, I know that most of our kids in our area don't see teachers like me. And they don't see teachers that look like them. So I think that the drive for me is to continue to be an example for them so they can know we can't get teachers are the best ambassadors for the field. If teachers are not being the ones who are getting students excited about it, then we're going to keep seeing the shortage. But as long as students can see that, hey, my teacher was cool, he looked like me, he came to the class, he rapped with us, he did this, and I still learned a lot. And that, success, that taste of success mixed with that makes a difference in why I stay, because I get to see that development over time with those kids.
2: I think for me, it's more, it's more legacy-minded, my answer, looking at this from a marathon perspective. Um, I'm no longer in it just for the sake of just teaching, I'm in it because I'm almost stubborn, in a sense, if that makes I'm in it because I know what people say about the students at my school. Mm-hmm. My principal just resigned, I didn't share the keynote, my principal just resigned, which makes my 12th administrator in the past six years. Um, So there are people that are refusing to even apply for the the administrative job and there are teachers that are refusing to come to the school. And a part of me is just so stubborn because I know the demographics we deal with. 100% free and reduced lunch and also 98% African American and they call it a tough school. And I feel like if I can make a change happen here, it can happen anywhere. I'm here to really obliterate any type of excuse from any educator. Oh, my child is throwing the chair me. Okay, that's happened to me. Oh, my, my principal isn't supporting me. Okay, I had 12 of them. You know, we can go back and forth with this. But I want to give the person a point of reference, not like this hero, but a guy to say, hey, he's making this change happen here. And if he can do it there, it can happen anywhere in America. It just really boils down to how bad, how bad he want to make it happen.
1: So, Michael Zucker. One of the questions that you wanted to ask, ask these guys was about the values driven. Do you have that question that you want to throw out right now? Um, basically, the idea of how do you create, uh, how do you make this appealing for students that are in college that are values driven? How do you make education? You can either answer that or rephrase that question. No, any
5: opportunity for me to monopolize the time and you know, <laughs> I'm get up and jump right on it. So, um, thanks for the question. So several directions you can you know i could go with it but i think the the reason behind this was because i'm thinking if anyone's familiar with dr kate brooks she was out of vanderbilt university so they did some really cool stuff she was the first ever vice president for basically career planning and development so a university brought in an administrator to basically serve the primary role of helping all their enrollees crystallize and develop a career plan, right? And so they took assessments, they did a lot of self-awareness work, self-assessment stuff, and it was all pretty much mandated in terms of their admissions and going through and declaring a degree and all the above. The question being, primarily, when, you're, when you were deciding which direction to go with your education, and I want to give these young ladies who are currently high school students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you're on the cusp of making a decision, what is it about teaching and education that resonates with you, and how would you like to impart that to future decision makers? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I
2: would just say for me, there is an advocacy piece to education, now, um, and, and I asked the question in my breakout session in my classroom, even though they're 4th graders, they, they want to talk about social, social issues. And it makes so much sense to me because if they're going to become doctors, lawyers, politicians, I need them to be solution-based. I need them to be able to understand how can we find a solution to a problem with actual facts instead of standing and arguing back and forth. So with that concept, that just drives everything that I do inside of my classroom. And, and, and for me, it just makes more sense to make sure that we're showing people that teaching is more than just, you know, standing with a chalkboard, you know, <laughs> or not chalkboard, Jesus, I went too far, but right. that's not <laughs> <Those> just <laughs> my name. A dry erase <laughs> board, right? It's you can literally make a difference in people's lives. And I think people sort of discount the power of media, specifically social media. And on social media, there's not a lot of movies that we show that are a good representation of teachers. It is very rare that you see teachers actually celebrated for doing something amazing in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So not only am I showing that you can be an advocate for those that it may not be doing well in life, but on my social media, if you look, I'm intentionally putting forth positive images of students and cool things that teachers do every single day to change that narrative to motivate them to be an educator.
3: Yeah, I think you hit. I think you hit the nail on the head. Look, uh, teachers that are actually getting ready to graduate are really shopping their experience right now. They can really choose where they want to go and teach, and uh, these young people, these teachers that are coming in, they really want to be a part of something special, they're aware of what's happening socially, uh, they want to be connected, they want to be part of that conversation, and so they don't want to sign up for some someone or a school or an experience that's not offering that. Like, you have to be able to be prepared to sell the why about how you're going to connect to those aspiring teachers of what it's going to look like, because... If you can't compete on that level now when you're trying to bring teachers in, you're gonna get left behind. So, one of the first things I do is I ask, I, I, my teachers come visit me, they know they're gonna be part of something special. They're gonna be part of social agravacy, community-based stuff. They're gonna be part of changing the outcome more than X's and O's. Of, they, they don't relate to that anymore. You know, they're not, a, they're not connected to that part of it. They wanna do education the way, they wanna do it the way they wanna do it now, which is, unpacking a problem, solving a problem, and being really critical and problematic in their classrooms, and, and excitement and energy, and if that, you, like I said, if you can't bring that, it's you you are going to miss out. And I just want to say something.
4: I've had the privilege this year already to have, I think, three or four student observers who, who were pre-service teachers to come and observe me, and and I'm admit, Some of the classes, they come in, they're rough days. Mm-hmm. I mean, days where I want to say something and just lose it. And they ask me afterwards, how did you hold it together? I say, because I remember that there's a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I, if you, as a teacher, you have to remember, just like when you're playing football, they tell a quarterback, you have, to have a real short memory. Uh, teachers, we have to keep that in mind, that we can't, we can't, we can't afford to hold things onto us. Because every single day, we don't know what we're going to expect and what, to, what we're going to encounter. And I just tell them all the time, if you know this is what you want to do, don't listen to anyone else, just do
2: it. Just do it. You just said a lot right there. It makes so much <laughs> sense, you guys, because some people will make, some people will have an opinion, because me and Hamish were talking about this earlier. We, I teach and I still speak. He's an administrator and he still speaks. And some people say, well, how in the world are you doing that? that that's impossible. It's impossible for you, right? What I found out is if you're really passionate about something and you want to meet other educators who are passionate about the field, you want to go to any length possible. And oftentimes, our generation will say that teachers do not make up enough money, and that is a lie in, in certain circumstances. <laughs> I have found out and learned from other teachers there's this new word, teacherpreneur, that is coming about. There are teachers that are venturing into the entrepreneur mindset by building products. Did you guys know that there's a teacher that made a million dollars from Teachers Pay Teachers? Mm-hmm. One million dollars from creating resources and lesson plans, and utilizing her gifts and talents to provide a better uh, source for another additional income. So, th- people will throw out an excuse, and then I would challenge them back. Well, what kind of gifts and talents and ideas can you bring to the table on top of teaching that will make your experience so much more fulfilling? I'm sorry, that was a ring. <laughs> uh, great, and you actually
5: answered several questions <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, and
1: I. Um, I was thinking about my own experience as a mentor of new teachers and the resilience that a teacher, a new teacher really needs. So I'm just going to throw this question out to see what, what you guys think of it. Um, what do you think you need to do to build that resilience in a new teacher so that they can let that stuff roll off, right? So they don't take it to heart, they can sustain themselves because you guys have found ways to sustain yourself in the your career.
3: Yeah, you know, let me jump in on that. Like, I um, spend a lot of time protecting my first-year teachers. Like, I want to nurture them, nourish them, and make sure they're successful. You know, I want to set them up for success. And it includes telling them straight out of the gate, this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And that when the honeymoon will be over, and come November, when it's starting to get gray out, and you're leaving, and it's dark out in the morning, dark out at night, you're going to get tired, and you that you're going to find a way to, have, you're to find a way to um, find positivity during that time of break through. And then after Christmas, you're going to start coming back out of it, and you're going to be like, man, I'll never do that again. I know how to do it now. Sure. And so nourishing them and protecting them through that experience so that they're ready. Like, we don't do a good enough job right now of saving our teachers early. Right. We're exiting teachers, and we have to save our teachers early. And that includes giving them the right mentors giving them the professional development, just because they're new doesn't mean they shouldn't be getting it, or ensuring that they're successful with a planning and thing, things like that. So I put a lot of time and energy into making sure that those folks are really um, nourished and successful and taken care of and protected. We have to protect them, you know, it's not, it's not okay not to take care of them, otherwise they won't make it to year three. You know what I mean? So we owe it to them as, the lead educators or the lead administrators that we, if we're doing them an injustice. I, I tell teachers when they interview for me that if you fail here, it's because I failed you. Mm. Straight up, it's my job to make you successful.
4: And, I, you know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. But what I was going to say is that I wouldn't be sitting on this stage right now in this great company if it wasn't for a mentor teacher. And my mentor teacher mentored me. And when I say I was at one campus for 11 years, for all 11 years, three of which I was her supervising teacher, she still mentored me. So I can attest to the fact that when you have a great mentor, when you have someone who pours and supports you, no matter what you're doing, when you blow it, they don't stop you and, and, and talk down to you, they, 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 they reflect with you and teach you how to go about your practice and how to get better at the craft and how to grow. In education with teachers, when you mention growth plan, it automatically becomes a negative connotation. I say every first year teacher should be on a growth plan. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go in three years? What do you want to look at? Let me get you already thinking past the hurdle that we know we need to get them past so that we can know what, what are we going to put in place to make sure that you accomplish that. And if we don't do that, then again, like I say we have to change the narrative. If we don't, then we're going to keep seeing teachers leave because they don't get that
3: support. Right. Well, 10 seconds here. You know, so it's amazing how many of our processes that are in place have negative connotation. Like, you know, we put these processes in place thinking we're being helpful, but they always end up being, I got you. What's, that's broken. That system's broken. Like, a growth plan is strictly that. It's not to growth plan you out. It's a growth plan you forward, right?
1: So this is very insightful because
5: one of the things we could do is coach our educators via the interview process to ask questions help them assess the support programs and mentorship that are available with a prospective employer. so yeah, They should be asking that yeah.
1: question. And we've talked a lot about attrition at this point and retention but I also want to touch, final question before we go to Q&A, on recruitment. So Michael, if you have anything that you want to throw out there about recruitment, we're talking about how to keep them once they're in there, but any thoughts, ideas, questions you want to ask our panel about how to get them into the profession?
5: So yeah, excellent segue. So when I talk to students, and again, where we deal with, there's a huge cohort of undecideds that are very values connected. One thing that you hear associated with this generation is the idea of being on the front lines making a difference ranks very high in regards to the criteria that make an an occupation an ideal fit. So teaching is a great platform to do so. But when you start talking to them about the possibility of teaching as a career, and it's In my opinion, it's getting more appeal because of the linear nature of the undergraduate degree translating directly into a credential that gets you qualified to be hired for the job, which not a lot of current degrees offer. Um, So I think there's some appeal along those lines. But they always get to the same things that we hear in terms of the stigmas associated with the profession. Will I have the support? Um, What are the resources available? Will I need to come out of my own pocket? I can't have a lucrative or make a decent living if I pursue this occupation. I'll sacrifice all my free time, all the above. So I think one of the things that we can do to bolster the recruitment for the teacher prep programs, and I know you were talking about ways for districts to connect with um, teachers, is literally bring in folks who represent the industry to provide information to help them see the realities as it relates to those stigmas. So a lot of universities and institutions, they have industry days, and they have career fairs, and they have info sessions, and there's ways that we can partner with our area educators to come in and have an accurate representation of what the field looks like. And I think that would help those on the cusp of deciding to get a feel for the fact that they'd be supported. It. it is lucrative, you can make a good living all the above, and the platform to make a difference. But I think in terms of what districts are doing to lose teachers those become recruiting strategies in and of themselves in terms of what you're doing to retain teachers and one of the things that the beginning educators that i work with they do assess teacher support and what's available in terms of those challenges so i think anything a district or school can do to reinforce the mentorship that would be available to them the teacher support Programs, resources, the fact that they're not left alone and independent. There's tools available to them. All of the above. I think all of those would help garner interest from prospective teachers. Sort of like a teacher residency,
1: right? You know, we we throw our baby teachers out there sink or swim, but then they are doing such high stakes work. So how do we give them that support? and uh, there's well, does anybody have anything
4: else well, I to just happen? want to um, real quick to, to speak to that. We were I did a podcast with um, a young man out of Chicago, I believe it was. And before he had even gone to the classroom, he had completed, what, like 375 hours of observation time. And when you watch him and speaking to him and watching what he does in his classroom, you can't tell that he's a first year teacher. It blew my mind to say, this is my first year doing this. My first question was, well, what happened? What did you do? And he said, well I went to a classroom and I started doing my service hours then. And then I went to another classroom and I did more service hours. And after a while it became addictive addictive to where that's all he wanted to do because he knew this is what I want. And I think that in order to get teachers in and recruit them, they have to see it in the real. Don't give me a theoretical, don't bring me in. Bring me where I can see how a teacher responds to a kid that's throwing a chair. Let me see that, don't take me to the perfect world Take me to the real world so that I can see, so that I can make an informed decision that this is exactly where I want to be and what I need to do.
2: So I think that's critical. I mean, I have so many thoughts on that. Even down to letting people letting people be put in those situations and making sure you have confinements around to help them when it's almost time for them to quit and let go. So, for example, here's a, it's a great analogy. When I first started doing this public speaking thing, um, I remember the article that I showed you guys today. I remember showing it to a couple of people in the back to school speeches. I had like 11 of them in August. And there were some people looking at me and rolling their eyes. There were some grown men frowned up and looking at me like that. I've had people walk out when I actually talk about these things or anything dealing with culture. And it was messing with my mind so much um, because my mentors warned me. So I texted. My mentor, Ron Clark, he said, Michael, you have to talk about these things because if you don't talk about these things, education will not improve to go forth. So with that, I pointed that out to say is that I was put in a position to try something new. I started to buckle a little bit because of the rigor of trying to sustain giving great content, but I had a great support to keep me going. If the support wasn't there, I was like, they can have this, they can roll their eyes at themselves. I'm going (laughs) (laughs) home. Right? So support, putting them in the right perspective, I think Mm -hmm. it's all it's all it all ties together.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I I was a graduate of New Zealand teacher education system. We spent a lot of hours in classrooms. There's a lot to be said about that. I don't hear about a lot of our teachers graduating spending the same amount of hours that like I would go on these nine week excursions into the into a classroom into the school. You know, spending extensive periods of um, we call them teacher practicums. And, uh, but I also want to say, like, it's so refreshing to be on a panel with, like, legitimate real people doing the real work. There's something to be said about that, even. A lot of people that are up on panels are not, like, doing the work. That's true. You know, so it's refreshing, and I think that's what people want to see, and how young people want to see that. Not that any of us have, that at old, to be honest, but that's what they want to see, right? I mean, right?
1: We have just about ten minutes left, so I want to open it up to the audience for any Q&A time.
0: Um. Um, we know that, to your point of uh, teachers want to see, or kids want to see teachers that look like them. With so few men in the classroom, I, I would be interested in your guys' opinion. How do we increase that number, especially men of color? Because I think that could be really important. So I go a couple of ways on that. I kind of get into that conversation, then I, I
3: kind of say, like, kids want to see teachers that care about them first. You know, I think we do need more teachers of, of color and, and more teachers. And I, I, have, I have incredibly diverse staff. I've always been that way. So I've been really fortunate and had a lot of males. And so, again, being fortunate. But I think it starts with kids wanting to be, feel loved, have teachers that care about They'll perform for any teacher that loves them and respects them. I will say most importantly,
2: if we're trying to recruit men into the education field, I always ask people why and for what. Because I know for me, there's something called the invisible tax, if you guys look it up in regards to African American men in the education system. And what happens is we're looked at more disciplinary as an yes. actual instructional specialist. Yes. I don't want to come to your school and teach there if you want to be only there for behavior. I'm right. more than that. Right. And yes. most men understand that. You know? So if you've ever been inside the education field before, as a man, you've had kids bounce to you that are not even inside of your class, right? Because right. yes. they'll you to deal with them. Right? Right. Right. I have my own classroom to deal with, right? Uh, because I deal with it every single year. So I often ask people for what. I believe men should be inside of the education system, but why do you want to be? We've had five African American men at our school, and we lost all of them because four of them were for behavior. And other schools saw the beauty in the gym that was at our school and poached them right on the way. Right. So we must begin to ask ourselves: if we want more men in education, why? And number two, when they are there, how can we make sure that the the
3: workload is equitable and not overloading to them? Yeah, you're not the behavior <laughs> yeah, thing. Right. Another question. Answer directly because I am
4: that person. <laughs> uh, this is my third career choice. Uh, Education, when I graduated high school, my memory book said, oh, I want to teach in 10 years. Mm-hmm. But I didn't start teaching. Yeah. Uh, I went across. I had a long journey to yeah. get there. I went through the alternative certification sign. We saw it coming in from Houston. The big signs, the billboards says, yeah. want to teach? When can you start? I think that is a joke. Because I don't say, do you want a doctor? When can you yeah. start? Yeah. You yeah. want to police? Yeah. When can you start? We don't see those signs. Yeah. So yeah. my thing is, though, when you get people into those programs that are coming, if their passion is there. Again, alternative. I was a sociology major in school. So it kind of prepared me to understand how the inner workings of people work and how to get people to work together in a group. But also, you have to make sure that once the people are there, they make the decision, that even if you're saying, I'm only doing this temporarily as a way to get through, well, how can I make you be your best while you're going through? And I think that's the biggest difference in those teacher preparedness programs to make sure that those programs are not just trying to fill seats and fill classrooms, that they're actually trying to better our students.
1: Well, I've already tapped into the solution to that and that is professional development. And so, however, not everyone is driven that way. Right. Not 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 everyone invests in that. With a degree and one who went through a short alternative certification program there they are in 8th grade teaching biology. <laughs> you we know, that's served. challenging. So anyway, but the, yeah. that's that was a I just wanted to know what has cuz I would like the colleges to put kids in my campus to do their observation hours or to do their student teaching. But they don't. They look for the schools that are... (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: What ended up happening was um, they noticed noticed the actual difference in how a teacher can go through the... East Carolina University is the university five minutes down the street from our school. So East Carolina is this prestigious university, and teachers that graduated there will come to our school and get chewed out of the building, right? East Carolina, to actually come there Uh, every single day. And they bring them in uh, in droves of multiple, I mean, it's, it's so many people that come in. But the issue is, like he was saying, they're not there long enough Right? So my practicum was a half a semester. I feel like it needs to go to an entire semester. They need to be submerged inside of the environment so you can be able to teach anywhere. I often tell educators, I don't care if you can teach in an affluent area where most of your classroom is proficient and they can be proficient by themselves. You could be able to teach by yourself. I'm judging how great of an educator you are. If you can go into an area where there is no equity there, you can
3: make magic happen. And that only comes by being in those environments and actually being trained in those environments. Make that magic happen. Like I've had a lot of success over the years Just by asking, what's the worst they can do is say no. But if they don't know you're available, like I actually think there's more colleges than you realize that want to put their kids in your school but don't know how to go about it. But if you're there, if you're there or your HR department's helping recruit, they could be part of that solution in terms of setting it up. But you go there and you tell them, they get to know you, you form that relationship, and then all of a sudden it starts small, gets big before you know it, you know? What advice do you have for
0: these new aspiring teachers like us? to deal with these troubled kids, and like, how, how do you think you could change our mindset in dealing with them? Um, I would say find out what's going on first.
2: Mm-hmm. Find, find out what's going on. I had a kid do that for an entire week, and I got so frustrated because he wasn't following my classroom management rules that I was going to go off on this little seven-year-old in my classroom until <laughs> I put him out into the hallway and kind of find out the reason why he kept going to sleep every single day is because exactly. his family got kicked out of their house, and all six of them were living in a one-bedroom hotel, and he couldn't get any sleep at night oh, because yeah. his bed was full of siblings. Right? So I could have traumatized him by not understanding his situation and story. So find out what's going on first, and then from there you can be a proper solution.
4: And that would be my, I was going to say that. Be, be yourself and present yourself to them so that they can know. Because if they don't ever see anyone being authentic, they don't know how to be authentic. If they don't see anyone sharing, they don't know how to share. Every child learns by watching the, the adults or the older people that are in their lives. If you really want that from them, you do it. You show vulnerability. You show them, share something with them that you've gone through. I share with my kids that I dropped out in the sixth grade and their eyes get bucked. But I need you to understand that I, I was just like you. I was frustrated with the system. And that in itself will build up that, as, as he said, that, that, jar, that jar of marbles, as yeah. uh, um, Dr. Garcia talked about, the jar of marbles of trust that they'll know I can come to you. And you'll find that those kids, once you connect,
3: you'll never get rid of it. Never. Yeah, yeah you'll you never drop them. They'll follow you right till they walk across graduation. They'll come get you.
1: 20 years later. Yeah, <laughs>
3: seriously. They still hit the
2: me.
3: be on. It defends you too. Yeah. 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 yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll tell you too, and I'm going to give you a different perspective, because I agree with these guys. Michael said it this morning during his keynote. He had to take a look at himself when stuff wasn't working right in his class. You know, your classroom is feedback on your instruction. So, I want to leave that with you, like, think about what is it that you're putting in front of your kids? Are they engaged with it? If they're bored and you're bored, everybody be bored. You know what I mean? So, think about it like that. You're all naughty. you know, like, seriously, if you're teaching it and you're bored and they're bored, you've got to make a change. And, and, and it's okay. It's okay to get it wrong. I mean, I don't know how many lessons I started over the years. And I looked at them, and I'm like, well, none of us is doing this. Let's start again. You know what I mean? It's okay. Like, that's okay. But if you keep doing it, that's the mistake. So don't feel bad. Just look for that opportunity or or engage them. Like, I, I learned the Fortnite dances, you know, like... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can't dance a shake, but you know what I But the kids, their, their kids like...
2: Can't forget you. I know you guys to do one fun thing in your classroom next week and send me the video on Instagram. Yeah. One thing that you enjoy and send it to your Instagram and watch how the energy in your classroom will completely it's change. This will going to change the whole year. Do one thing that you absolutely enjoy yeah. and watch how they shift to your energy because energy cannot be created or destroyed; it's only transferred.
5: I
1: hate that. Woo! I will tell it, Mr. Black...